0: Let me uh, begin this evening's sermon with just a a question for you. Um, If somebody was to stop you tonight, maybe out in the street, and if they asked you whether you are enjoying your life just now as a Christian, how would you respond to that? If they were to ask you whether there's a lot of joy going on in your Christian experience, uh, what would you see? I think... Um, If we're being honest, many of us in here tonight would struggle to say a resounding yes to that. We might struggle to say that we have a lot of joy. Why? Because there are, aren't there, a lot of struggles that come in and impinge uh, upon our sense of satisfaction and joy. For some of us in here tonight, it might just be, you know, a sense of disappointment. At uh, where we are at this point in our life. We didn't envisage our life turning out like this. You know, there's a sense of disappointment. We don't, some of us like our jobs maybe. Maybe some of us don't even like the people in our lives. Don't even like our family situations. There's a sense of disappointment for some of us. For others, there's maybe just a stress. You know, it's this anxiety. You know, anxiety, you know, for some of us about our health, anxiety about financial matters, anxiety about our kids and our family situation, all of this stuff comes in and it kind of casts a shadow over satisfaction in our lives, casts this a shadow over Christian joy. Well, okay, tr- truth be told, that's not, a, that's not something new, that's not a new phenomenon. You know, even Solomon, King Solomon, in his day, what did he see? He saw a distinct lack of joy amongst the people of God. So what does he do? Well, what I think happens is that King Solomon writes the verses that you have got in front of you, and he does so to make one crucial fundamental point, and it's this. He writes this to show the people of God that our need for joy is an emergency situation. That there is this utter, dire, urgent need for the people of God to display joy to the world, to show the world, demonstrate to the world that real joy, real satisfaction is found only in the true worship of the Lord our God. That's what I think Solomon does here. Now, what we'll do tonight is examine what he says. We'll do it as simply and as straightforwardly as possible. So there's going to be just two headings, two main headings, in a way, to the portion of Scripture. The first of these is that we see here aspects of death. On a pastoral visit this week, Somebody in the congregation uh, spoke to me and said, or noted, I think, that we are in the midst of a season of death at London City Presbyterian Church. That may be largely, okay, because of many people's circumstances, but largely because of the biblical material that we've been studying over the last while, that there is this sort of theme of death front and center, in the life of this church. Now, I'll say to you that I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's very important that you and I, that we consider death, that you and I know (laughs) more and more about what death is for the Christian, that we uh, consider it, we think about it, we pray about uh, death our attitude towards death, that we study what God says about death in his word. Well, tonight what Solomon does, he returns to this subject. Uh, But let me anticipate what you're thinking. Can I I say it's not repetitive? It's not repetitive. It's not that Solomon is just going to go over ground that he's already covered. Because it's, what Solomon is doing here, he's adding new pieces to this kind of grand jigsaw of mortality that he's kind of building up all the way through the Book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, so it's not it's not repetitive. But what does he see? What are these new pieces to this jigsaw he's building? Well, I'll tell you what. Let me let me uh, try and point you to a few things here. Okay, first of all. You need to know and be be reminded here that death is inevitable. That's the first thing. Would you look with me to verse 2? Have a look at verse 2. Hopefully you picked up on when when a was reading the text. So Solomon says, as he preaches, remember, towards the end of his life, he says, it's the same for all since, what's the next bit? Since the... Same event happens to people. Okay, so the same event. So what, what's the event that happens to all people? I guess you know. And I guess you know because he's restated it a number of times already in this book. So if you were here when we looked at chapter 2, do you remember what Solomon said? He said the same event happens to the wise as well as the foolish. Do you remember that? Then in chapter 3... He said the same event happens to animals as happens to people. What's the the same event that happens? Death. Now, that would be somewhat repetitive, wouldn't it? If that's all Solomon was saying here. But it's not. Do you see? It's much more nuanced than that in verse 2. Have a look again at what exactly he says. He moves on. He says, the same event happens to whom? The righteous and the wicked. To the good and the evil. To the clean, the unclean. He who sacrifices, he who doesn't. Do you, do you see the the actual point he's making to us this evening? I'll put it like this. In fact, I'll just quote how one writer puts it. He says, the point that Solomon's making here is that our morality makes no difference to our mortality you see it like he's, he's saying no matter how uprightly you're going to live no matter how religious you're going to be what's going to happen you're, you're going to face death in the end and as simple as that might be i think it's important for us to rest on that for a moment because because it could weigh some of us as christians down at london city presbyterian church because on the surface of things Aren't you with me maybe when, when you think, on the surface of things, that seems a bit unfair? You know, we, come on, we're devoting our lives to God, and we're out on our Sunday nights, and everyone else is having fun, and we're in here, and we're worshipping God, and we're seeking to, you know, all self-discipline, and we're seeking to obey God, and what's this? You know, our fate is the same in life as those who are utterly immoral and utterly wicked. We could say this is unfair. It's not right. Well, we only think like that until we ponder the reason for our death. And what does Solomon say? That is here in verse 3. He says, we die because our hearts are full of Evil. Do you see the point? Death is fear. Death is fear. Why? Because such is the sin in the hearts of humanity. All of us deserve this impending death. So death is Inevitable. Another thing that I want to uh, point you to here is the fact that death is also unpredictable. So it's inevitable, but it's also unpredictable. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was um, in Ali's homeland. I was up in Lewis, and I was uh, preaching. And on the Saturday, no, Sunday afternoon, uh, after I preached in the morning, we'd had our lunch, I was gathered in the manse, the minister's house in Lewis, and there was a few people there, and do you know what? They were laughing at me. <laughs> they spent the afternoon laughing at me because they said me being a townie, you know, me being uh, having lived in a city most of my life, they said that I was at a disadvantage uh, when it came to the Bible. And to start with, I, uh, I wasn't sure about that, and then I began to see what they were what they were saying, and I probably agree with them because they were saying that when Scripture uses all of its agricultural metaphors that you see all the time in the bible these nature metaphors these agricultural metaphors they're saying to me because you live in a city it's going to take you longer to figure out exactly what the bible is saying than it will to you know people in a rural community now whether they're right or not which i think they probably are even i in my city center ignorance i think i can establish these two nature illustrations that you've got in front of you and what they mean now do you see them in verse 12 so jump to the end of the section now he's speaking about death he returns to death in verse 12 that's why i think it's still part of the same section now he do you see what he does he likens death first of all to a fish And it's a fish that suddenly, out of nowhere, the fish gets caught in a fisherman's net. So death is like the fish. Do you see the other one? Death is also like a bird. And I think it's the picture of maybe this bird who comes into land, it's in the field, and the bird's hopping through the field, and then all of a sudden, the bird is caught in a fowler's snare. Now, I'm asking you, Do you see the point that Solomon is making about death? You surely do. I think to so many of us in this room, we know the point. The point that death often comes out of nowhere. Isn't that that the point here? That death is not always this nice a gradual, gentle thing that, that death can be violent it can be sudden it can be out of the, the, the blue and I think that that there should to give us pause for thought this evening because do you see what it means? it means that that's the way it could be for you and for me that death for us could be very, very sudden very, very violent, immediate we don't even know To be honest friends, if all of us in here are going to get through tonight, doesn't that make us pause for thought if we're Christians? Doesn't it sort of reinvigorate our our spiritual zeal, fervour? You know, doesn't it make us want to live in all things for Christ in this potentially short time that we have on this earth? Our death could be tonight. Will we not live? for our saviour. So death is, what is it? Inevitable. It is also unpredictable. But then also, death is diabolical. And I think that is Solomon's focus in the first section here. So if you look at verse 5 with me, please, what a... I am, I'm so glad Ididai did not read this with Charisma and excitement, because what a picture it gives of death, doesn't it? Verse five. But the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Are you not, do you not agree? It's so bleak, this picture of death. It's an awful picture. And so I return to what I was saying this morning. And I return to speaking to those in here who, who have not professed faith in Christ and, and and those here who are not converted and you've got a picture of death before you does it not does it not make you consider your own impending death because I'm curious about this what do you think is going to happen at your death if you do not believe in Jesus Christ tonight? in fact what do you hope is going to happen in your death I mean, do, do you hope for nothing is that, is that your great hope that there'll be nothing but blankness and darkness and death? Or, or do you hope actually for an unjust God? You know, a God who for, for no apparent reason is going to overlook the wickedness of your heart and usher you into some eternal paradise. Is, is, that your, is, is that your hope? Because look at what Solomon says here tonight. This is not, this is not that sort of grand picture for you. It's a, it's a different picture. It's a diabolical picture of death for the unrepentant. Friend, in death, God's grace Toward you will end. A second thing we see, the aspects of joy. We see aspects of death, secondly aspects of joy. Okay, I'll, uh, let me tell you about a man I know, okay, who's going to remain nameless lest I get into trouble. But this man lives a million miles away from here. And uh, this is a man who's an elderly man. <laughs> a man who gives an inordinate amount of his thought time to his impending death. Uh, a death that for 20 years he has been sure <laughs> is, is coming. And this man lives by a mantra a a motto in his life and he will say to me repeatedly andy i no longer buy green bananas (laughs) which i love you see what he's saying of course he no no longer invests in a project he no longer uh, does something long term why because he's sure that he he will not see it out, to you sure that he will, I no longer buy green bananas. I wonder, is that what you thinks happening tonight? <laughs> Do you think that Solomon is confronting you with your death to depress you? Do you think that God tonight shows you your death from scripture to knock the wind out of your sails? Surely you don't think that. Because the opposite is actually true. That God tonight brings your impending death into the room. He confronts you with your impending death actually to motivate you for the Christian life. He's showing you your death so that you will seek joy as a Christian and then a joy in your walk with the Lord. And I, I want to show you a number of things that he says about this joy that we should have. You'll see the first in verse 7. I'll put it bluntly. He tells us to embrace wine in verse 7. You'll see what he says. He says, So he shows us death. And do you see even from the first word that he's he's trying to motivate us? Do you see what's the first word there? Go! Here's your death now. Go, but it's go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. I, uh, that's, that's the, yeah, I, uh, that's the sort of verse that I might call a dynamite verse. Because it's very dangerous, I would have thought, in the wrong hands. Is it not? Uh, So let's make sure we're careful with it, let's not get this wrong. God is not saying, here's your death, so go party. That's not it, it's not, here's your death, your impending death, so go drink and be merry, go get hammered. It's not that. You know as well as I do that these things here, bread and wine, were everyday elements of a meal. Weren't they in the ancient world, bread and wine? So the focus is not on wine as an intoxicant, The focus here is on the attitude with which we should enjoy bread and wine. And what, what's the attitude we should have? We should, what is it? Enjoy eating? That we should be grateful? For the, for even the food that we eat? That's the people of God. And let me, let me put you to the test. Where in scripture is that verse partially fulfilled? Let me read the verse again. Go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. That is referenced in the New Testament. Where? What about Acts chapter 2? You know that wonderful picture you have of the table fellowship? in the early church what's said in Acts chapter 2 they were attending the temple courts together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts Do you see the, the model for us we are to be in light of our death what do we do we embrace we enjoy even the things that we eat and we drink we enjoy them even out of worship to God and Oh dear, then we get to a most delicate verse, in verse 8. I wonder if you see the problems here, if you put it together with what comes next. Verse 8 says this, it says, uh, Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. What is the problem with that verse? the problem with that verse is that a number of commentators because of the fact that marriage comes next a lot of the commentators think that there solomon is speaking about uh, speaking about marital intimacy let's put it like that That Solomon is saying do you see what is the the verse like your garments always be white, let oil not be lacking on your head? That's almost that Solomon is speaking to married couples and saying make an effort Be dressed nicely, be smelling nicely for your for your other half. Now I'm not convinced. I think is much more a general appeal that in light of your death make an effort in this life but it is surely the case that the marriage relationship is in view in what comes next and I I implore you to think about the exact wording of what comes next here in verse 9 now think about what what God does not say in verse 9 he does not say to you enjoy life with the wife whom you love. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. And if you are uh, married this evening, then perhaps you, you concur that that is a great great challenge in a marriage because we know how it often goes in a, a marriage relationship, don't we? the first months are wonderful and, and very often people are just so excited by this new status, this new order, the, the fires of passion as the people get to know each other, the the husband and the wife and everything is rosy and it's great. And then what happens? Very often, troubles begin to start. And then, wait, fights break out, arguments Arise, And what happens, friends, indifference creeps into a marriage relationship to the extent that there are Christian couples who, though technically together, are divorced in all but name. And I wonder if you're in a marriage relationship this evening, does that or even a hint of that seem familiar to you? If it does, do you hear what God is saying to you in, in Scripture? He is surely encouraging you tonight to make more of an effort with your spouse. You know, not just to say, right, okay, my, my marriage is bad, but sell a vis, so be it. And not to say, well, okay, it is the other person's fault. You know, to say, well, it's they're not doing this, or they are doing this. But friend, for you to make more of an effort in your marriage, for for you even tonight to have a word of kindness and a word of love for that person that God has given to you to spend the rest of your life with. Because what is this we're reading here? What does he say? Seek to love your wife. Seek to enjoy your spouse. But God says all the days of your life. So we embrace wine. We embrace our wife, but the last of these is that we embrace our work. The last verse I will point you to is verse 10. Solomon says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Now, that's easier material, isn't it? It's kind of obvious, isn't it, what Solomon is saying there. Whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. It's it's very easy for us to understand that, but I think maybe it is incredibly pertinent to some of us in here tonight. Because you you see what, what Solomon, what God is saying to us. Here is your death, and what are we not to do in light of our death? We are not to down tools. Isn't that what he's saying? We're not to down tools in our marriage relationship. We're not to down tools in life, but we are not to down tools at work. Even if we're getting older, even if we're we're tired, as Christians, what must our motto be? What do we read in in Colossians 3? Remember, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Now, I said at the start of the evening's sermon, I said that there would be how many points, boys? What did I say? Can you remember? Two. Not, not three, two. But uh, uh, the risk of being called a liar, I want to, uh, I, I end with this. You can call it a third point. We've seen aspects of death, aspects of joy, but aspects of eternity. Because you see, two weeks Two weeks ago, I think it was, I, 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 I stood up here and we looked at death from Second Timothy. Do you remember that? Please, at least one person nod your head. And Linky's not their head, <laughs> and we we saw something glorious that night in Second Timothy, chapter one. We saw the fact that Christ has changed death for his people, didn't we? We saw that at Calvary, on that rugged cross, that Christ had destroyed death, and he has abolished death for the people of God. And I just urge you to see what that means for how we read and understand ecclesiastes chapter 9 because surely you see what it means it means this side of the cross we have a radically different understanding of death to to this understanding that solomon has here now what did solomon say he says that death in death do you remember what he said he said there is no knowledge in death and he said there is no hope in death then he goes on to say this he says there is no reward in death what do you know to be true Because of what Christ Jesus has done for us, there's all of that in death for His people, isn't there? I mean, there is knowledge in death, knowledge of God in death. There's hope. Don't we have hope in death? And wait a minute, what do we have? We have, we get a reward. And Death, we are rewarded upon our death with the crown of life that we read of in revelation and wait a minute, there was that verse that was partially fulfilled in Acts chapter two. you see it don 't you That verse comes to full fruition only in glory in heaven above we are going to enjoy that table fellowship rejoice in gladness and gratitude where table fellowship in heaven with the lord and what about the stuff with our spouse rejoicing with our spouse where will that happen for the church our christ is going to embrace his spouse his bride the church all in heaven what about work When are we going to rejoice in working? It's going to happen in heaven. It's going to happen in glory. So given that, given all that Jesus has done for us, given the way that he has radically turned our death on its head, what do you do this week? You go out and show people the joy. The joy that we have in Jesus, the satisfaction of soul that we have through the atoning work and the cross, we go out, we demonstrate, yes, we have joy and abundance in Christ Jesus. Your death is coming. What do we do? We seize the day, don't we? And we don't just live But we live rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.